If you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 25. We're almost finished with the book of Acts, including today. There's only four more chapters, and we'll, uh, at this point, we'll be switching over, unless the Lord changes our plan, we'll be switching over to Galatians after the book of Acts. So today, we're, of course, we're continuing the exposition of Acts, uh, looking at Acts chapter 25. We got done with 24 last week. And chapter 25 and chapter 26 of Acts are really one long narrative. And it ends in Paul's climactic gospel presentation to King Agrippa and the leaders of the city of Caesarea, which we will see in Acts chapter 26. We won't get to Paul's actual speech today, but we're going to see everything that leads up to it through uh, chapter 25. Now, if you've been with us, and I, I hope you have, or have got the sermons off of uh, the website, the church website, through the last few chapters, we've seen the trials, all the trials and persecutions that Paul has endured for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ and his testimony to Jesus Christ. We've talked about how we endure trials as we are being the witnesses that Jesus has called us to be. So if you've been here through those you're not really going to see a whole lot new today in Acts chapter 25. Paul's going to go through another trial. He's going to go through another trial before a different governor. But it's one thing to say, as we have in the last few weeks, you know, come on guys, let's, let's endure this trial together, whatever it may be. Let's endure this, this suffering in my life for the, name, for the sake of the gospel. Let's, let's get through this one thing. Let's get through this trial. Let's get through this persecution. Let's endure through this event that's going on. That's one thing. But it's a whole different thing when those trials just go on and on and on and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. When it seems like your, your trial in this life, no matter what it may be, it, it just doesn't end. When it feels like as soon as one storm breaks and you start to see the light of day, here comes another hurricane right behind it. You know, it's in those times when being faithful takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? I mean, the book of Job shows us how even a faithful person wears down under the prolonged trial. So how are we to respond when we have whole seasons of hardship and trial and suffering and persecution and all of the things that go along with following Christ in this life? How do we endure in those times when we, we just can't really see the hand of God in any of this? When it feels like God is, is silent as wave after wave of tribulation crashes into us. What do we do when we feel, I mean, let's just be honest, when we feel abandoned. When we feel alone in the trials that just don't seem to ever end. What does faithfulness look like? I think that's what we're going to see as we look at chapter 25 and Paul, how he endures this. When we left off, Paul was, remember, a prisoner of the Romans. And he was mobbed in the temple at Jerusalem by the Jews. The Romans swooped in to stop the riot, and they took him into custody. 
and they found out he was a Roman citizen, so they just put him in, put him in holding for right now. And when he was in his cell there, Jesus appeared to him in Acts 23, 11, and Jesus told Paul, take courage, you're going to go to Rome. I'm going to send you to Rome, and you're going to testify to Rome just as you have in Jerusalem. And then the next day, the Jews were plotting to kill him. And so he was in Roman custody. They were plotting to kill him. So the Roman commander sent him to Caesarea to be tried by Felix, the governor. And last week, we saw that trial before Felix. We looked at that, and we saw that Felix basically just decided, let's just lock Paul up and not deal with this. He refused to judge Paul's case, and we know why, because to declare Paul innocent would have incited the Jews to riot. To declare him guilty would have put a Roman citizen to death without cause. Either way, Felix would be in trouble. So he just put the whole thing off. And the last verse we read in chapter 24 was, when two years had elapsed... Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, a new governor. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So for two whole years, Paul just sat there. Now we're told in the last chapter that Felix called for him often and they conversed. And there's a, this may be one of the times in prison where Paul is writing letters during this time. But for two whole years after Jesus said, you're going to go to Rome, nothing happens. Paul has been pining away in prison. And now as chapter 25 begins, Paul's trial is going to begin all over again. So get that in your head before we read these two things. Between chapter 24 and verse 1 of chapter 25, two years have passed. Now we're going to read all of verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to stop there, and then we'll continue on. In verse 1, it says this, Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem. And this is why, because they were planning to ambush, an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the, man, let the men of authority among you go down, look at it, with me. And if there's anything wrong about this man, he doesn't even know who he is, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight to ten days, eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal, the judgment seat, the bema, and he ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, look at this, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? The same thing they asked Festus to do at the beginning. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, before his judgment seat, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong. He looks at Festus and says, as you yourself very well know, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. 
I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now much of 13 through 27, which we're going to read in a moment, is a repetition of this. So we're going to spend the majority of our time in verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to cover the second half of the chapter quickly at the end. And the first thing you need to see is that when trials are prolonged and they go on and on and it seems like there is no end, we have to trust that God is still sovereign and still working. In these first few verses, Festus, the new governor, arrives and within three days he goes to Jerusalem to see the Jewish leaders. This whole region, as we saw last week, is volatile. And that's the reason why Felix was recalled because of all of the turmoil that's going on. And so Festus knows he needs to make friends with these people very, very quick to get things in order. But look at the first thing the Jewish leaders bring up to Festus. Paul. Verse 2 says, they laid their case against Paul out to Festus. Now Paul's been in prison in Caesarea for two years. He's been out of sight and out of mind of the Jews in Jerusalem and the Jewish leadership for a long time. But their hatred for him hasn't cooled not one bit. Their their hardness of heart toward the gospel and the messenger of the gospel still, it seems, still controls their every thought. Can you imagine two years? Remember where you were and what you were doing two years ago. I mean, that's two years a long time. They haven't heard from Paul. He's been in prison. And then the first thing that happens when the new governor comes, oh, by the way, you got a guy in Caesarea. We need to talk about this guy. What we're seeing is the same thing we've seen all through Acts. Those that are opposed to the gospel will never stop. Not in this life. Their master won't allow it. There will always be hatred, slander, and attempts to silence the gospel by any means in this life. So when this new governor, looking to mend fences, of course, verse 3, we're told that the Jews see an opportunity to ask a favor of him. They want Paul brought to Jerusalem, presumably for a trial, but Luke tells us their real intent. They want to assassinate him on the way. This is the same plot that we saw before. They wanted to kill him as they were, the Romans were bringing him down. And to be honest, right here, it seems like a pretty good plan. I mean, the new governor, he doesn't know much about anything. It seems like a good, a good plan that's probably going to work. But something happens here that the Jews don't expect. In verses 4 and 5, it says, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he says, let the men of authority among you Go down to Jerusalem with me, and there, if I mean, go down to Caesarea with me, and there, if there's anything wrong about this man, then let charges be brought. Festus messes up their whole plan. But it's not because he is protecting Paul. There's no hint that Festus was suspicious about their plot or knew anything about all of this. Certainly didn't have a love for Paul. We see in verse 9, he's going to try to give Paul to him in a little bit. From the whole section, it seems like Festus is happy just to put Paul on trial to please the Jews and and do them a favor. But here, we don't know why, but probably just for convenience sake, Festus says, look, instead of me sending for him and bringing him here to Jerusalem, 
why don't all you guys just come on down to Caesarea with me? He's offering to let them travel with him in his Roman caravan or whatever it is and go all back, you know, travel back with him like they're his guests or something. That's pretty lucky for Paul, isn't it? Smile one time. Okay, thank you. That's all I need. Just one. Seems like it's just luck that saves Paul's life here. Oh, but we know better, don't we? Jesus promised Paul would go to Rome. And once again, God's providence is working to fulfill His word. So, so look at this. Paul has been sitting and waiting for two years, holding on to this promise that he's going to get to Rome, but here he still sits, not knowing what God's doing or when God's going to move or how it's going to happen or anything, just sitting in jail. Might be wondering, as many of us would be, God, where are you? Why have you left me here for this long? Why, why am I sitting here for two years going through all this? But two years later, we see God's hand is still moving in all things. At this point, Paul doesn't know it, but God just providentially saved his life. It sure wouldn't have been a stretch for Festus to say, Sure, I'll send for Paul. I'll send him to you. And then Paul would have been killed on the way to Jerusalem, and Jesus' promise would have been proven a lie. But that's not what happens. Just as we saw God working through all of the events in the last three chapters, the, the nephew that just happened to be in the right place at the right time to hear the plot, the, the Roman tribune who just happened to make the decision to send out all the soldiers to protect Paul and to send him to Caesarea, God here works through Festus to save Paul again. Yeah, it might seem like Paul's been abandoned in his trial for the last two years, but God's still moving. God's still in control. He still has a purpose. He still has a plan. Now, what we see here is not that God always saves the physical lives of His messengers. That's not true. What we see is that no matter what the circumstances, even when sufferings and trials make it feel like you have been abandoned and forgotten, if you are in Christ, uh, you have not been abandoned or forgotten. When, when God seems silent as, as you're being battered by tribulation and persecution or doubt or suffering or all of the things that come with this life, even when you can't see it, God's promise still holds true. I will never leave you I will never forsake you. We know that God is faithful to His Word. So that means regardless of the length or the severity of our trials, we're still called to be faithful. Still called to be faithful. And I think that's what we see here in Paul's um, actions in this section. Verse 6 says, After he stayed among them, Festus stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal, ordered Paul to be brought. And when he had arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Exact same, that, same thing that happened before. The first thing that comes to my mind when I read this, well, here we go again. I mean, can you imagine? I, I don't know. Paul may have been a stronger man than I, but I can imagine how I would be feeling. Do we really have to go through this whole thing again? This whole trial business? I just languished in prison for two years, waiting on something to happen. I'd be thinking, Lord, why? Why do we have to go through this dog and pony show again? But when you look at Paul's actions, what you see is the same faithfulness here 
that he demonstrated two years ago in the last chapter on trial before Felix. He does exactly the same things that we've seen in the last few chapters of Acts. First thing he does is what we looked at last week. He speaks the truth when, when falsely accused. Here, Luke really just summarizes what Paul says because we heard it in the last chapter, his defense. In verse 8, when they say these charges that they can't prove, it says Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. After two years of waiting, he's called on to go through this whole circus again, and we see he's still doing the same thing he was doing two years ago. He's faithful to speak the truth from a clear conscience when false accusations are leveled against him. And the second thing is we see Paul uh, just continue to trust in God regardless of all these circumstances that's going on. In verse 9, it says, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Make sure you notice this. In verse 9, we're shown who Festus is. He wants to do the Jews a favor. And we know why. He wants to please them so life will be easy for him as a governor. So he proposes to do the exact thing that they asked him to do at the very beginning. He's more than willing to do it, to send Paul to Jerusalem for trial. Now, Paul may be a lot of things, but stupid is not one of them. Immediately, he sees this for what it is. Understand, he's not going to get a fair trial in Jerusalem for sure, he understands that these, Jews, these Jewish leaders, they want him dead at all costs. They, he's still taking up space in their brain after two years. They want him gone. And now it's clear that Festus is not really going to be a fair and impartial judge either. But before we look at that, look at Paul's faith on display here. He trusts in God's control over all of this. He says in verse 10, look, as a Roman, I'm standing right where I ought to stand, how, where I ought to be trialed before the seat of Caesar's judgment. Not going to Jerusalem. Verse 11, he says, If this court or Roman law deems that I'm guilty of any crime that's worthy of death, then I'll die. I don't seek to escape the death penalty. Paul speaks with boldness, even challenging Festus at the end of verse 10, saying, Even you know I haven't done anything wrong to these guys. He stands in faith, trusting God's hand in all these circumstances. He's saying, basically he's saying, I'm here. And if I'm guilty and I need to die, fine, let's do it. Let God do what He wills. He's ready to die for the testimony of Jesus Christ. But just like we saw before, when Paul was about to be flogged by the Romans in Jerusalem, you remember? And he said, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen, you can't do that. Once again, he asserts his rights as a Roman citizen and he appeals to Caesar. Every Roman citizen had the right, it was one of the perks, to appeal to the court of the emperor. And when that happened, all the proceedings stopped and you go to the court of the emperor. It doesn't mean that you actually looked at the emperor face to face, but it, you know, he had a court and sometimes, sometimes you would go straight to the emperor, but sometimes it would be the emperor's court. So you had the right to appeal to Caesar's court and then you would go to Rome on Rome's dime. 
So here we see again the same lesson we saw back in Jerusalem. Faithfulness to Christ as a witness doesn't mean suffering for suffering's sake. We've been given rights under law, and it isn't wrong to assert those rights in order to stand for Christ. Now, you probably noticed as I've walked through verses 1 through 12 that I haven't gone into as much depth explaining and applying each section of the verses and all these things like we normally do. The reason I haven't done that this morning is because we're seeing the same thing here that we saw in the last two chapters. If I were to do that, it'd be the same sermon. What we're seeing is God's providence over all circumstances. We're seeing Paul's faithfulness. We're seeing his faith in God's provision. We're seeing him respond to false accusations by speaking truth from a clear conscience. We're seeing his willingness to assert his rights under law for the sake of the gospel. Every single one of these things are things that we've studied over the past two weeks in the last two chapters. These are the same things that we saw in Paul two years ago when his trial first happened with Felix. The difference here is that it's been two years of waiting, two years of uncertainty, of not knowing when God is going to move, when God's going to answer, when God's going to keep His Word, or how God's Word's going to come to pass. His, Paul's trials have not been short They've been dragged out with no end in sight. And, and when something finally does happen, it's the same junk that he had to go through two years ago. So none of the things that we see in these verses are new. But what you are seeing is that even in those times when the trials continue on and on and on and you can't seem to hear God's voice, when you don't see His hand moving as quickly as you want it to or even how He's going to move, when you're caught on that hamster wheel of heartache and tribulation because you live for Christ and those trials just don't seem like they're ever going to end, even even then, you're called to be faithful. And when you think the dawn is breaking only to reveal the next thunderstorm that's coming and everything's starting all over again, even then, you're called to be faithful. You're called to trust in the promise of the Word. God's Word doesn't change. Didn't change for Paul. Doesn't change for you. He told Paul two years ago, you're going to Rome. He hasn't forgotten his promise and he has not changed his mind. So in those times of trial, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil because the Lord is with you. We have to be faithful. Because even, even no matter what you're going through, and, and there's severe trials uh, of lots of people in, in our community right now, in our church right now. I, I don't make light of any of those. I can only imagine what many of you are going through. But even in the most severe trials of life, we're still commissioned as His witnesses. We're going to move through 13 through 27 quickly because there's a lot of repetition here. Festus basically just retells everything that happens to King Agrippa and then they prepare to hear Paul's testimony. So let's read 13 through 27 and then we'll make a few comments and we'll be, we'll be on our way. It says, Now when some days had passed, Paul has just appealed to Caesar, he's going to Caesar. When some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice, who is his sister, arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. 
And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case out before the king, saying, There is a man left in prison by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. Not exactly what you said, Festus, but okay. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils, I suppose. Rather... They had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserts to be alive. Finally, a Roman governor understands what this has been all about. It's not been about trials and it's not been about mobs and riots and rebellion. It's been about a man telling other people that Jesus has risen from the dead. And it says, being at a loss, this is still Felix speaking to Agrippa, being at a loss is how to investigate these questions. I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. Now I want you to really see this. We're going to hone in on this verse in just a moment. So the next day, Agrippa... And Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. We'll find out in chapter 26, he's brought in in chains. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord, to Caesar, about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write, for it seems to be unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Now, first, just real quick, a little background on Herod Agrippa. This is King Herod Agrippa II. His father, Agrippa I, was the one that was uh, struck dead in Acts chapter 12. Uh, King Herod was technically given the title king by Emperor Claudius, but he wasn't really a king in the sense that you're thinking. He was uh, certainly not ruling over Judea or ruling over the Roman governor or anything like that. He was given charge as king over the temple and the high priest and the temple treasury and all of those things. He was seen by Emperor Claudius and now the current emperor, emperor, Emperor Nero, as being an expert in Jewish law and Jewish customs, those kind of things. So he doesn't have more authority than Festus, but Festus is taking the opportunity when Agrippa and his sister Bernice come to visit him, the new governor, to see if Agrippa can help him. You see, when Paul appeals to Caesar... It puts Festus in a really hard spot. According to Roman practice, when sending a prisoner to a higher court, just like Festus says, you had to write the charges out and send with him. But he has nothing to write. There are no charges. Paul has broken no Roman law at all. So this whole section is basically Festus telling Agrippa the whole situation so he can figure out some charges to write. 
To send Paul without charges to Caesar's court is at best going to make him look like an incompetent governor and at worst going to lose his head for treating a Roman citizen this way. So he's desperate to find some charges. But what I want you to see is I want you to look how this chapter ends when we talk about still being faithful to be called to be commissioned as his witness. In verse 23, it says, so on the next day after Festus tells Agrippa all the stuff that happened, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, with great ceremony, probably decked out in all their regal stuff. And they entered the audience hall, which was this big hall in the... Caesarea was the Roman capital of the province. And there in the hall were these military tribunes, all the Roman tribunes, all the, the, the commanders and the prominent men of the city. And then Festus begins with his speech. So all of this pomp and ceremony, kings and governors and military tribunes, all the prominent men of Caesarea, all assembled in this audience hall because of one little Jewish man who spent his life telling people about a man who had been raised from the dead. All the crazy fake trials, all the false accusations, all the mobs beating him, the pining away in prison for two long years, uncertain about what God is doing and when he's going to do it, It's all come to this moment right here. So in chapter 26, he can preach the gospel to this room full of people. Not only is Jesus' word going to be fulfilled, that Paul is going to testify in Rome, but way back in Acts chapter 9, when Jesus saved Paul, he told, um, what's his name? Come on, I just lost it. Ananias, yeah. Man, he told Ananias about Paul, saying, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Listen, at this moment, walking in chains into this audience hall before royalty, power, influence, and every earthly display of greatness, Jesus has fulfilled his word. His word has come to pass. Paul will testify before kings. Through all the trials, through all the heartache, all the suffering, all the uncertainty, all the waiting, when the trials just go on and on and on and it doesn't seem like they're ever going to end and you can't see the other side, even in those moments when you can't take any more, you're still called and commissioned as a witness of Jesus Christ. And God has placed you where you are to fulfill that purpose and that plan. In chapter 26, Paul will give the longest of his speeches in the book of Acts. And it's here we realize that from the moment that he was mobbed in the temple, from the moment that he was almost killed there, and then his freedom was taken away by the Romans... And through all the trials and all the waiting and all the things, it's all been for a purpose. The purpose is for Paul to stand before these people after enduring all of this suffering and all of this uncertainty and him be able to say in Acts 26, he's going to say, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so, that's why, thus, I stand here testifying, both to small and great, 
saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light, salvation, both to our people, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. And it's, it's here that we see this is what this has been about. All of these two years, two years of suffering, and then the suffering that came before that, he said, through all of it, I have had the help of God, and this is why. So that I stand here testifying, both the small and great, of Jesus Christ. That's the message that you need today. That's the message that you've been commissioned to proclaim. That's the message that the world needs today. Jesus, both God and man, entered into His own creation, lived without sin to fulfill God's covenant requirement for salvation. He gave His sinless life as a perfect sacrificial substitute for your sin, dying in the sinner's place taking upon Himself the wrath and the punishment that your sin deserves so that you might be united with Christ in His death and that death pay for your sin. And even though a sinner, by faith, being united with Christ in His resurrection, so that when the Father looks down at those who are in Christ, hidden with Christ in God, He doesn't see the sin that characterizes our hearts and our nature. He sees the righteousness of His own Son. That's the reason these trials have gone on and on and on so that Paul could testify to the message that these people in this room need to hear. To avail yourself of that message, of that good news the command for you today is to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. To be united with Him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that also, if you, that also for, for believer, you, you're having a hard time being a witness, a hard time suffering through trial and tribulation and hardship and all of the things that, that tend to want us to focus on us and how I can fix me rather than focus outwardly on the lost around me and, and the mission that Jesus Christ has given me. You do that the same way that you came to know Christ by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus. You get up tomorrow and you trust in Jesus again. You face this trial and you trust in Jesus again and you spend your life fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil that try to keep you from trusting in Jesus and you trust Him afresh by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same way you came to Christ and got saved, that's how you live the Christian life. Faith. By walking in faith. And it's hard. It's a battle. But Acts is a book about the church on mission. We've walked through 25 chapters of Acts. It's the work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through His people. Acts is a book about the church on mission. And we've gone through Acts so that we can be a people on mission. And that starts today. Trust in Jesus. Give Him your heart and life. And then believer, you say, look, I got saved when I was 15 or whatever. That's fine. Today, the command is still true for you too. Trust in Jesus.
trust in Jesus afresh, and let's walk in that faith. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth that you have given us. We thank you knowing that as we look at the example of Paul's greatness and his faithfulness and his strength and all of we know Paul is a sinner just like we are. All of the things we see in him, God, we know that that's your work. That's not because he's better than us, stronger than us, greater than us, more holy than us. It's because of the gospel's work in his life. So, God, we plead with you to say, please give us that faithfulness. Give us that strength. Let your Holy Spirit be shed abroad in our hearts that we might walk in faith, trusting in you. That's how the faithful life is lived. It's not about us doing better or being better or being stronger, God. It's only your work in us. So we call to you and we beg for that work in our hearts that we may walk trusting you through the hardships and the trials of this life whether it be just the regular trials of life or whether it be hardships and persecution because of our witness for Christ. Father, we pray that you would just help us to be faithful. That's all we can aspire to. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would, that you would call upon them, that you would show them the cross, show them what you've done in sending the Son to die for their sin and that they would call back upon you. Saying, God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that my life doesn't reflect anything of who Jesus Christ is or what, he, what he's done. But I'm turning from that life now as best I know how. And I'm putting all my faith in you that you died for my sin. And that my sin is paid in full because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm trusting that. God, I pray that you would save souls today and that you would give us the assurance, not that this life's going to be easy, not that trials are going to end quickly, but that you are with us if we are in Christ. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down front. I would love to talk to you. If you want to come, please do. Will you stand with me?